Really what we're looking at is like, what is the church? This is the beginning of the church. This is the part in scripture where we see Jesus was crucified, uh, died, was buried, was resurrected, and now he is moving through his people. And uh, this thing called the church was born. And so one of the things we've kind of been looking at each week is is really trying to cut through the misunderstandings and and wrong understandings and bad tapes and bad information that's out there about what is the church and what are my expectations of the church. And if we if we are the church, if we are this congregation together that the Lord has called together for his purposes, we need to know what those purposes are um, so that we can go in with the right expectations. Um, and so this week, uh, one of the things that came to mind was that there's this misunderstanding uh, that's kind of being pumped through the water by maybe well-meaning people, but it's this idea that uh, if God really loves me, then my life is going to be a little bit more comfortable. That if God really loves me and cares about me, then my life is going to be pain-free. And when I pray for things, that he's going to answer those prayers in exactly the way that I want him to. And uh, not if, but when that doesn't happen, um, then I get disillusioned and I'm like, this doesn't work. Or if there is a God that he's not listening to me and that he doesn't care about me. Um, And so Jesus, in this passage, in a really strange way, is coming to to tell us that he didn't come to give us our best life here. (laughs) He came to give us his life, his life from now into eternity. And even though that is definitely not going to match up with what we think we need the most, um, it is is our best life, is his life. And so um, I'm going to ask Andrew to come read the passage for us. And we're in kind of all over the place uh, in Acts 6 through uh, the end of chapter 7. All right. Yeah, Acts chapter 6, more or less. Here we go. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face, saw that his face was like that of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. This Moses, whom your fathers rejected, this man God sent as both ruler and redeemer, this man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, Go, oh, Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? 
and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, This is a hard word, but it's a really good word. And uh, I pray that as we are out here this morning in the the splendor of your beauty, uh, that this would not be a distraction, but that this would be um, an enhancement of what you're saying to us. Lord, this would magnify the truth of who you are and who we are. Lord, would... uh, these kids playing and babies crying and, and uh, the wind blowing and all these things, Lord, would, the, would these be uh, reminders of your goodness and how you love us? Um, Lord, keep the enemy from us this morning. I pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to receive you. Lord, uh, humble us, um, put down our pride, put down our fear, put down our demand to control things so that we could receive you this morning and uh, what you have for us and that your word would do what you promise it always does, which is to accomplish its purposes and that it would transform us and uh, that we would look more like you, Jesus, and enjoy your life more and ask that in your name. Amen. Okay, so this um, this passage is not a, pa- a passage on baptism directly, uh, but it does tell us a lot about baptism. Um, so first, Stephen, this man that we read about who... Um, is martyred for his his faith and his witness of Jesus. Um, we know that Stephen, at, at some day before this day, uh, went down to a river and was baptized um, in obedience to what God is doing and calling his people to. And so I just want to start with uh, what is baptism? Um, it's a physical sign and seal of a spiritual reality. Uh, we, are, we are buried with Christ and we are raised with Christ to new life. Um, we're, we're buried into the waters of God's judgment. Um, all throughout scripture, we see picture of flood waters overwhelming. And that is a picture of God's judgment on sin. I mean, Noah's Ark, that's kind of a case in point right there. Um, but we go down into the, the waters of God's judgment for sin. Um, but we don't stay there. We're raised to new life in Christ because of the cleansing blood of Jesus, because of the new life of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so that's what baptism uh, represents. And this is, um, you know, all powerfully working. The same spirit that worked new life into Jesus is working new life into us through the power of the Holy Spirit through faith. Um, and so Isaiah 43, one and two is, is true of those who are, are baptized in Christ. Um, fear not for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, when you pass through the waters of God's judgment, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And so all baptisms, including Jesus's, point to the real baptism, the only real baptism. All other baptisms are a picture of the one real baptism, which is Jesus's cross. 
uh, overwhelmed to death by God's wrath for sin and then raised by God to new life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, So now our baptism points to our real baptism, which is, again, the cross of Jesus. Um, We're united with him. And so as he goes, so we go. As he goes down into death, so do we. But as he's raised to new life, we never have to fear death again because we are united with him. That is the the power that's at work in us. Uh, Galatians 2.20 says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so now in this passage, now that we've set this up, we see the fruit of Stephen's baptism. Um, Luke makes it really clear. Luke goes to great lengths to, to paint this picture and, and write this story for us where we cannot miss that Stephen in so many ways is treated like Jesus and responds like Jesus and looks like Jesus. Um, he, is, he is showing for us that uh, Christ is living in Stephen. And uh, I mean, we could, we could spend a lot of time here, but just in broad brush, um, both Jesus and Stephen come to God's enemies with the good news of God's love for them in Jesus. Both are hated and rejected. Both face false testimony and a false trial. Both love their enemies to the bitter end. And both are destroyed by the ones that they came to save. They accuse Stephen of blasphemy in this passage against Moses and God. Uh, But it's really them who are profaning Moses and God. It's they who don't understand. And it's Stephen who's coming in love because it's really Jesus who's coming in love through Stephen to tell them who Moses really is and who who God really is. And so first Moses, he tells them, I mean, we this is a long passage and we have Stephen's uh, sermon, basically. And so we've just taken a few few verses of that sermon uh, to highlight what he said about Moses. But it said that Moses was sent by God as a ruler and a redeemer. It says that uh, Moses led your ancestors through the Red Sea to salvation. And he was rejected from start to finish. From the very beginning to the end, Moses is rejected by these people, the people of God that he sent Moses to be a ruler and redeemer and bring them freedom from slavery and salvation. And this Moses is the one who told you about Jesus who was to come. He said, there is one who is coming after me from your very brothers. He's a prophet like me and he will be raised up and you need to listen to him. <laughs> that, that part's left out of Stephen's quoting of that verse, but Moses says that there's one coming after me. And then he says, listen to him because in him are the very words of life. And so this God, <laughs> so here's this Moses and then here's this God, uh, this Jesus whom you've murdered is God. Not only am I not blaspheming God, Stephen is saying, but you don't even know who God is. If you're worried about what I'm saying about him, you've killed him. You've murdered this God because because Jesus is the son of God. He's the one that Moses told you to listen to. He's the one who is the ruler and the redeemer that Moses was a type of that was coming. And he is the ultimate. And you missed him. He came to set you free. He came to set you free from the slavery of sin and to set you free from the fear of death. And you missed him. He came to bring you freedom and new life. He came to make a way through the waters of God's judgment where there was no way. And when we see Moses 
delivering his people, when God gives his people deliverance from the Egyptians, they are stuck. I don't know if you remember the passage, but they are camped up against the Red Sea. And then the, the Egyptians are pursuing them. And there's death ahead and death behind them. And they don't know where to go and they're stuck. And then God makes a way. And God parts the seas and they walk across, they walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. And so God really brought salvation to his people in that moment through that miracle. But that's not all that that was. That was a picture pointing to his ultimate salvation in Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. And that's what Stephen's trying to draw this connection for them, is don't you see that the Red Sea is this picture of God's waters of judgment? And they are going to overtake everyone, except for God made a way where there was no way, in a way that nobody would ever expect, nobody would ever understand, nobody would ever see coming. Is he made a way through the waters of his judgment, through the very body of his son, that he sent Jesus to be torn in two so that you could pass through the pieces, so to speak, Um, that you could pass through the blood of Jesus would cover you and you would be safe and free. You'd be adopted into God's family. You wouldn't have to fear his condemnation. You would be his sons and daughters. And that's only possible through the blood of Christ. And Stephen's saying, don't you see? This man was not just a man. This man was God. And God is making a way where there was no way. And you rejected him from start to finish. But he came and he wasn't he wasn't rebuffed. He wasn't put off when you began to reject him and you began to hate him. He kept coming. Why? Because he loved his father and his father loved you. God, the father, it says in scripture that God, the father was pleased. As crazy as that sounds, he was pleased to offer up his son so that you could have life. But it's not only because he loved the father, it's because Jesus himself also loved these people who hated him and were rejecting him and ultimately murdering him. (laughs) And it says in Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy, for the joy that was set before our Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that was set before him was his enemies, was you and I and all these people who would come to faith and would be his, his brothers and sisters. For the joy of us coming to salvation and having life and being set free from slavery of sin and fear of death, um, he gladly endured his cross. And so now this Jesus lives in Stephen. And as crazy it is to say, um, Jesus is living in Stephen through his spirit. He's coming to these people through Stephen as his vessel. And this offer of new life still stands. You know, I mean, when you read this and you read what Stephen said to these people at the end of his sermon, like, okay, Stephen, maybe not the way I would go um, if we're trying to make friends here. You stiff-necked people. You do not hear. You do not understand. You are so arrogant. But guess what? He's still coming with a message. He's coming with a really hard message, but also a really good news. That, that the fact that Stephen is even standing there saying anything to them at all is evidence that he still loves them. And more than that, that God loves them and that Jesus loves them and that this offer still stands. And so I don't care really who you are or what you've done in your life, but that offer still stands for you. I mean, look at what's happening in this passage. The very people that murdered Jesus, Jesus keeps coming to them. 
And he's saying, hey, still, would you come and be saved? Would you come and have life in me? And their behavior doesn't change his love for them because why would it? It wouldn't make any sense. They've been enemies from the beginning. So the fact that they're showing themselves to be enemies should not be surprising. He's like, yeah, this, this is not throw me at all. I came because I love you. And now Stephen, in a very real sense, he is, he is taken on the life of Jesus. The life, the spirit that's at work in Jesus is now at work in Stephen and is now at work in us. And so Stephen can stand there knowing what's coming and not leave because he loves his father, because he loves his Jesus, but also because he loves these people with the love of Christ. And he considers it nothing. He counts his life as nothing so that these people might be saved. It is for the joy that's set before Stephen that he endures his cross, which is this stoning that's about to take place because he has the life of Jesus in him. And so do we. And guess what? That is the good life. You know, when I think about the good life and I think about what makes me feel comfortable and makes me feel good and I want to make sure that I have enough of X, Y, and Z and all the things that I think make me happy, that's not the good life. That's actually the sad life because I will always be afraid that all that stuff is going to get taken away from me. I will always be in slavery of fear. And guess what? It's a sinking ship. I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but we get old and die. And we get diseases and things happen to us. And so if we're putting our hope in these things, it's the sad life. It's not the good life. The good life is where you know that you have life for all eternity and that nothing here can intervene. That there is no circumstance that you will endure where you are not with your Jesus and he is not leading you home. That is peace. That is freedom. And it's really hard to believe, but that is the good life. And as, as Stephen was being stoned to death, um, he, he prayed, he called to his Jesus for two things. First, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. To receive that, that word in this passage means to take hold of something with force. And what he is saying is Jesus Please take my life and don't let it go because I'm about to die and I can't hold on to it. I don't know what's going to happen to my spirit because I'm about to go to a place I've never been before. So you have to hold it. You have to hold on tight because I can't. (laughs) And here's what's so amazing. We read that verse from Hebrews 12 uh, that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, the throne. But here we don't see that. We see Jesus standing. Jesus is standing to receive Stephen. It's like he's saying, I'm right here. Like I'm getting up because I want you to see me. I'm with you. I will never let you go. That's my little brother. And he's always going to be with me. And so for for me, for you, for Stephen, um, Jesus has us. He has our spirit with force. Nothing can snatch us out of his hand. He will never let us go. And that's peace. And that's freedom. And the second thing that Stephen prays is, Lord, do not, wow, 
Really? Lord, do not hold this sin against them as rocks are breaking the bones of my face. Like, who loves like that? Only the love of Christ. There's no other love. There's no other love that somebody can say that as they're being pummeled literally to their death. But again, he came for his enemies. Jesus came for his enemies. And now in us, Jesus is coming for his enemies. And he might call us to this. There's no guarantee that he won't, right? He might call us to this. And if he does, he will be with us. It'll be just like this. We will know that he is with us. We will not be afraid. He will have us. So we are free to love. We're free to love recklessly. And we see here, uh, our faithful Jesus answers both of those prayers. First, uh, (laughs) when he says, uh, don't hold this sin against them, Luke makes a point to show us that Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, was in the audience. Saul heard this sermon. Saul watched this man live and die. And you better believe that this had an impact on him. That he walked away from this and who knows how many other circumstances and the Lord is working and changing this man's heart that would later come to write like a huge percentage of the New Testament and do so many amazing things for God. And Stephen, as Stephen is dying, as his eyes are closing in this life, that man is looking on him with disapproval and victory of the enemy of Christ. Stephen could not see what God was doing. And most of the time, we don't get to see what God's doing with the conversations that we have, with the suffering that we endure, with whatever it is that he puts on our plates. But Luke is showing us, God is answering your prayer. He's not holding this against them because this Saul is coming to Christ through the the words and the life of Stephen. And secondly, when he prays for Jesus to receive his spirit, Jesus did. The very last verse of this passage, this is beautiful little description that Stephen fell asleep. Remember, as Jesus goes, so we go. Death cannot hold him and death cannot hold us. Death that was once a terror is now a mere sleep from which we awaken refreshed and renewed. We do not have to fear death and we need to remind each other of that a lot more frequently than we do because death is scary and I'm still afraid of it. And when I'm in my right mind, that helps me to see things rightly and and not be afraid and live in the truth of what I have in Christ and who I have that this very Jesus is united with me and can never be separated from me. So we will all pass through the waters of God's judgment. Every man, woman, and child that's ever drawn a breath. We will all pass through the waters of God's judgment and and the only options are to do that alone or in Jesus. And so if you have not been baptized, if you have not 
trusted in Christ and, and received him as he's offered to you in the gospels, then do that today. And for those who are, are in Christ, this church, this body that he's put together, um, what does this mean for us? Um, well, one, we're about to see a couple baptisms. And when you see that, I want you to be reminded of your own baptism. To see the, the new, the death has been, the death that was owed to you is, has been put on Christ. You don't have to fear death. And, and you are raised to a new life that no one can ever, 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 ever take away. No one can ever separate you from your Jesus. And so now we are free to lean in and really hear what he says and not filter it out through the things that we've decided we're already not going to listen to because we've kind of got an agenda for our own life. But we're free to really listen and really be open and let him lead us to his enemies, who are our enemies maybe, to bring new life where there was only death. And that these enemies can now be brothers and sisters and be a part of this family. And then whenever our time comes, we will be received by him. We will be with him in glory, in real life forever. That's what awaits us. And so uh, I'm going to ask Brooks and Amy Hurd and Carly to come on up. So we're, uh, we're receiving three new members into our body today. And uh, two of those people are going to be baptized. Amy, if you want to get in the water, you're welcome to. <laughs> so we're going to take these vows first and then we're going to make our way into the water. Um, so Brooks, Carly, Amy, um, do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope except in his sovereign mercy? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the son of God and savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel? Do you? Do you now resolve and promise and humble reliance on the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Jesus, do you? Do you promise to support the church and its worship and work to the best of your ability? Do you submit yourselves to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace, do you? All right. Now, you're all members, so welcome to the family. Mm-hmm.